The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. We'll be in Matthew 27 in just a moment. But before we get there, there is a saying in the South that is somewhat ubiquitous. And you might think that you know what the saying means, but chances are you don't. And the saying is simply this. Isn't she or isn't he, maybe I'll do it in my southern accent, um, isn't she precious? You ever heard that before? And you might think that that term or that phrase means what people are saying. But if you believe that, you would be wrong. Because when someone in the South says to you, oh, isn't she or aren't you precious? They do not mean that you are precious. They mean that poor soul. Either they're not smart enough, they're not bright enough, they're not pretty enough. It is really called sarcasm. Now, some of you folks, sarcasm goes right over your head. But for others, we get it and we understand it. And there's something about sarcasm that's like punching people in the face with your words. That, that's, that's sarcasm. And sometimes we've got to be careful with it. But do you know that the Bible is full of sarcasm? It's, it's full of it. Maybe the greatest um, story that we will identify with this morning is that of Elijah. Remember Elijah? false prophets on Mount Carmel. There's a contest there, and they have to call out to their God, who was no God. And as they're crying out and nothing is happening, Elijah says, cry louder. Maybe your God is sleeping. Maybe he's on a journey. Maybe he's actually relieving himself. It's sarcasm. He knows that there is no God of Baal, and he knows he will not answer. We see it in the New Testament, early on, when Philip goes to Nathanael and says, hey, come, we found the Savior. He's in Nazareth. And Nathanael says, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Jesus actually uses the same. And he says to the Pharisees, have you not read The word? Well, obviously they read the word. They were teachers of the law. It's sarcasm. And you can't help but read Paul to the Corinthians and find it over and over again. Now, for us, we must be careful because sarcasm can be harmful. It can be hurtful. There are people who we think they're funny, but they're not. They're just mean. And they use sarcasm like that. I would never do that, of course. But some would. And so we have to be careful with that um, because it can be hurtful. Uh, It can be a mask of our hatred for others, um, and it's a cowardly way to deal with people. But sarcasm is overt irony. The Bible uses sarcasm, and it uses irony. And irony is that literary technique that what appears on the surface to be the case differs radically from what is actually the case. Right, like sarcasm. 
You say something, but we all know that's not what you mean, right? Oh, you're a genius, right? And irony is the same way. There's something that's being said or done that isn't what it appears to be. There's something underneath this. There's something underlying. There's something that's actually opposite of what's being said. And I find it amazing this morning as we look at Matthew 27 that the entire chapter is full of irony. It is full of it. There are a number of ironic twists as we work our way through, and what appears on the surface to be the case differs radically from what is actually the case. And my prayer this morning is simply this, that we would hear and consider the more that is meant in the passage. And may our hearts be stirred and our wills be moved by what is actually the case. And so I'm going to read Matthew 27, beginning at verse number 1, and we'll read a large portion of the text this morning. But I want you to hear what's being said, and I want you to consider what seems to be the case. For those of us who know the story, we know there's more behind what is meant. Matthew 27, verse 1. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they, the chief priest, and they said, what is that to us? See thou to it. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It's not lawful for to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Wherefore, that field was called the field of blood unto this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value, and gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord appointed me. And Jesus stood before the governor. And the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, You have said, when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Now at the feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas, and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? 
And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all said unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See you to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be upon us and upon our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus unto the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers, most likely 600 men. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink, mingled with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there. And set up over his head this accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and the other on the left. When they passed by, reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyed the temple and would build it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him and the scribes and the elders said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there, when they heard that, said, this man calls for Elijah. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, let it be. Let's see whether Elijah will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. 
Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. And many women were there beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him. This is the word of the Lord. I want you to notice this morning six ironic twists of the text. I want you first to see the chief priest. The chief priest. We, um, sort of our default setting is when we hear the chief priest or the elders or the Pharisees, we automatically think of hypocrisy. We think, oh man, those guys were such hypocrites. But you must understand that in Jesus' day, not all were hypocrites. They, they started the Pharisees as being the separated ones trying to do right. But these men were honored by the people. They were the leaders of Israel. They were deemed to be holy and not in a, in a, in a bad way, pious, not in a bad way, but righteous men. They were men that the community would look to and say, there are godly men, the chief priests. And yet in our text, we find these religious leaders of Israel, these holy, righteous men, seeking someone to portray the Messiah, someone to kill Christ. And they find Judas, and Judas finds them. And he says, I will deliver him if the price is right. And these religious men pay him to betray him. Judas then sees that Christ is condemned. Obviously, he didn't think he would be, but he is. And Judas now repents. Certainly not godly repentance, but he's remorseful. And he comes back before these chief priests and says, listen, I understand what I've done. I have betrayed innocent blood. I am guilty. And remember, he is standing before the chief priest who deal with sin, who deal with forgiveness. And what they say to him is this. Not my problem. You look after it. But it was their problem. This was their plan. This was their deed. There is something they could have done. But the religious men who were leaders did not. Not only that, you notice that they said, listen, what he said is true. This is blood money. We can't put this into the treasury. It would defile the treasury. We want to maintain our righteousness. And so we will buy the potter's field. We will make sure it doesn't go to defile anything. All the while, here they are, continuing an unlawful trial, these Righteous, religious men. And the most ironic twist of it all is that here are Israel's leaders, the righteous ones, trying everything in their power to kill Christ. And then Matthew says, but wait a minute. There is one Gentile woman, Pilate's wife, who says to Pilate, listen, don't, don't, don't. This man is just. And she does everything she can to release him. How ironic. Those who were righteous were not truly righteous. There is something for us here. Because it's easy for us to sit in judgment 
But we must be on guard of our own ceremonialism and our own self-righteousness. Because what these religious men did was, hey, they would tithe on mint and anise and cumin, but what they forgot about were the weightier matters of the law, like justice and mercy and faith. And they had their own standard now, which they thought was righteous, but it wasn't. And we better be careful, because our hearts are prone to the self-righteousness that we set ourselves up. We have our own standards, and we think that we're okay. And so we start naming the big sins, you know. Ah, they're an adulterer or adulteress. They're a fornicator. They're a homosexual. They're, they're in the bondage of substance abuse. Can you believe that? And yet we walk around as religious people with our hearts full of pride and greed and hatred and jealousy and lust. And the truth is this morning, if our hearts were exposed, we would be embarrassed by it. The religious men were not religious. They were wrong. We better be careful this morning as we come to the table. Don't set up your own standard. Don't set up your own righteousness. We have no righteousness apart from Jesus Christ. Consider the chief priest. Number two, consider the crowd. And not just the big crowds around, right? Some of us have trouble with the idea that just days prior to this, you know what they were shouting to Jesus Christ? Hosanna! Lord, save us now! Son of David! We worship you. And now we hear them crying, crucify him. Now, I think there's an answer for that. I think there's two. I think the, the group that came from Galilee, Hosanna, they were followers of Christ. I think the group of Jerusalem a little bit different. But either way, I understand this, and I think you will too. I was listening to a song the other day. Kim had it playing on, um, what's that device we have? Echo. And so the song was playing about the the idea of Hosanna and crucify, and in the song it says something like this, that I come to the Lord and in my heart I sing Hosanna. This morning we come in and we praise him. And we're lost in the goodness of Christ. But for many of us, if not all of us, by this afternoon, when my flesh wants to do what my flesh wants to do, it will say, crucify him. I will not have this man reign over me. And we do it all the time, all the time, every one of us. So I don't want to talk about that crowd. I'm going to talk about the crowd that should have been there because they're missing. Right? We know what happened to Judas. He's dead. And we know that John was near the cross. But what about the rest? Everyone to a man said, Jesus, we will die for you. We would never deny you. And yet, they are nowhere to be found. These are the men who lived with Christ, who slept, ate, heard, ministered, watched the miracles, who promised him, we are there for you. And now on this day, they're nowhere to be found. How ironic it is that they're nowhere to be found. But did you notice in verse 55 who was found? 
Many women, beholding afar off, and there's a reason they're beholding afar off. Crucifixion was public, naked, and ashamed. Which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him. Our Christian women are oftentimes much stronger and much bolder than any Christian man. And we should thank God for it, and we should be convicted by it. How ironic the disciples are missing, but the women are there. And not just the disciples are missing. What about the most vocal one? Right? Do you remember that one? Simon Peter, who said, Lord, not only will I die for you, but when they come to get you, I'm pulling out the sword, and I'll whack this guy's ear off, probably aiming for his head. He was really not good at it. He was a fisherman, used to doing this, not this. Right? Lord, there, there is no Simon Peter here. But did you notice there is a Simon recorded here? A Simon from Cyrene who is passing by and he's compelled to carry the cross of Jesus Christ? It's not Simon Peter. It's this Simon who is carrying the cross of Jesus Christ. The disciples were weak. They were weak. We must think about our own commitment this morning. We live in a weird culture in North America. I mean, I think every Christian to a man, to a woman, would say, Lord, if it came to that, I would die for you. But do we even live for him? How can we even say that when we blush to speak his name? And what Christ commanded his disciples to do, from Peter all the way down to us today, is done by a stranger carrying the cross. And Jesus calls you and he calls me to pick up my cross, to die to self, and to follow him. The disciples were weak. Consider number three, the irony of the choice of a savior. We're introduced to Barabbas, a notorious prisoner, a criminal, guilty, guilty, an insurrectionist, killed, probably murdered somebody in the dealing. He wanted to throw off Rome from them. And do you know that on Calvary's brow that day, there were three crosses, there were slated three executions, and certainly Barabbas was the ringleader of the other two. That cross was for him. It was for him. And, and when you think about the name Barabbas in itself, listen to this. You know, Bar, son of, Abbas, son of the father. That's his name. Barabbas, son of the father, compared to Jesus Christ, the son of the heavenly father. There are ancient manuscripts, I found this interesting, from the book of Matthew, that actually, as they record this text, have the name Jesus in front of Barabbas. Jesus Barabbas, Jesus who is called the Christ. And I think there's real substance here for two reasons. Number one, Jesus was a popular name in the first century. There were lots of Jewish boys named Jesus the first century. Yahweh saves. 
But the second thing is this. Did you notice when Pilate says, which Jesus do you want? Which one? The Jesus which is called Christ. So he makes this distinction. There are two saviors available for the Jewish people. One is an offer of a savior by a sword. He's a violent insurrectionist. I will save you now. The other is a savior by way of a cross, which is perfect peace and justice then. And who does the Jewish nation choose? They choose Barabbas. And, and, and when Pilate says, then what should I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? Listen, he's asking. And they could have said, who cares? Don't bother with him. We reject him. That's not what they say. They say, crucify him. Crucify him. Do you understand that for a Jewish man or woman to want a Roman Gentile governor to kill another Jew by crucifixion is unthinkable? It's unthinkable. The horror of the cross to be okay with another countryman being killed by a Gentile that way is unthinkable. And yet, this is what they wanted. They made the wrong choice. They made the wrong choice. We must be careful of our own course of action. Because the question is the same for us today. What savior do you want? And you might think that's a stupid question. It's not. Because there's some folks here that the savior you, you want is yourself. Because it's my way, what I think, my standard, my goodness, my benevolence to people, my judgment against someone else, or it's a Jesus that will do everything I want him to do. He will make me healthy, wealthy, and wise. He will serve me. A Jesus that doesn't make demands on my life. That's what people want. I want a Savior who takes me to heaven, and I have to do nothing in return. What kind of salvation is that? I'll tell you, it's no salvation at all. At all. You've created a Jesus of your own image. And that Jesus is not a Savior, and that Jesus cannot save you. He can't. There's only one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It is the name of Jesus Christ. And unless you repent and call on his name today, you are lost. And you, like these Jews, will make the wrong choice. The wrong choice. And the irony of this, it, it continues, actually, that here they are saying, hey, you kill him, his blood be upon our heads and our children. Little did they know they were prophesying their own doom on 66 A.D. through 70 when Jerusalem would be destroyed. Without Christ, we're not safe. Consider the irony of the cleansing of Pilate's hands. Pilate. He, he goes out, he takes the basin before everyone, and he washes his hands. And he says, I am clean. I'm not guilty. This is not my problem. But in the cleansing of his hands and claiming innocence, he confirms that he has governed unjustly. I'm innocent. No. No, you're not. You're weak. You're indifferent. You're not a man of integrity. 
You knew the truth. You had been warned. You saw the facts. You listened to Christ. You knew he was innocent. The cleansing of the hand did not cleanse your guilt. And this morning we must be reminded, we don't claim our own innocence. We're not innocent today because we said we're innocent. That's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It doesn't make me innocent because I say I'm innocent. Because of my goodness and my religion and how I stack up to others, this corruption cannot be washed away with water. Not on your hands, not on your head, and not on your whole body. There's only one way to care for our corruption and our guilt. Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is none. There is none. And we must come to Christ for a cleansing. It's not of ourselves. It's not in ourselves. It's through Jesus Christ alone. It is not in a church. It is not in works. It is not in religion. It is not in anything save Jesus Christ. Notice number five, the contempt of the soldiers. Possibly 600 men. Military men. Vile. Usually. Military men. And it's interesting what Matthew does here in verses 28 through 31. In verse 28, we have this, the idea that his clothes are stripped from him. And in verse 31, we find that they put his clothes back on him. So there's this sort of inclusio happening, this chiasm here. And then from 28, verse 29 says, they twisted this crown of thorns and put it on his head. And then in 30, we find that they smote him on the head. And right dab in the middle of all of this are the soldiers bending a knee and saying, Hail, King of the Jews, in mockery, contempt, and scorn. And this idea of king goes through the whole passage over and over again. Pilate says, are you a king? Jesus says, you said it. The, Jew, the Jews and the leaders say, he said he's the king. They mock him as a king. They throw the idea of king above his head and say, this is the king of the Jews. And what's ironic is this. Oh, there's so much irony here. Here is Pilate sitting in judgment as the creator of the universe stands in front of him and is judged. Can you imagine? And the irony of this text is this, that as they mock him on their knees, little do they know that there are foreshadow of what will be, because every Jew, every Gentile, every man, every woman, every tongue, every tribe, every nation, one day will bow the knee and say, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. This is our Savior. And they had no idea, but that's exactly what they were doing. And then finally, the irony of the cross this morning. Why was he delivered? Why would he die? Why can we come here and enjoy this table this morning? Barabbas was a criminal. Jesus was innocent. This is unjust. Barabbas was released. Jesus was scourged. This is inhumane. That scourging often was fatal as men endured it. Barabbas lives and escapes the third cross. Jesus Christ is crucified. And the irony of it all is that 
the criminal goes free and the one who is innocent dies. The one who deserved to be on that cross, the criminal, the one who was condemned, the guilty one, Barabbas, me, you, everyone in this room, we escaped the cross. Why? Because the innocent one has died for us. And Isaiah said it right. What was read in our songs this morning, that Jesus Christ bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. And he was crushed for our iniquities. We see the irony of the cross. The death of death by the death of Christ. And this cross that they thought would defeat him, only brings life for his people. We are rescued because of it. I think the song that helps us understand this is uh, His Life for Mine. It says, His heart was broken, mine was mended. He became sin, now I am clean. The cross he carried bore my burden, the nails that held him set me free. His scars of suffering brought me healing. He spills his blood to fill my soul. His crown of thorns made me royalty. His sorrow gave me joy untold. He was despised and rejected, stripped of his garments and oppressed. I am loved and accepted and wear a robe of righteousness. His life for mine, his life for mine, how could it ever be? That he would die, God's son would die, and give his life for me. What love divine, he gave his life for mine. And in our text, what appears on the surface differs radically from what is actually the case. The cross of scorn, contempt, and death brings hope, joy, and life. And may we hear and consider the more that is meant and not only hear it this morning, but may our hearts be stirred and our wills moved. As we come to this table this morning, may we soak in the irony of all of this, that sinful men and women can come to this table and not mourn that wasn't the end of the story. We can come with grateful hearts and joy knowing that someday we will sit around the table of Christ and our Savior will serve us. Who does that? Jesus. Only Jesus. Father, we love you this morning. We thank you for the cross. And Lord, we are so unworthy to be at this table this morning. I thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. I thank you that he gave his life for mine. And Lord, may we as your people today understand the irony of all of it. The guilty goes free because the innocent one, the perfect one, has died. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I pray this morning that there be one here that they may see and hear through what's been preached, the glory of the gospel, and see through the elements, the bread and the cup, the glory of Christ. Bless our time now of remembrance, maybe time of gratitude and thankfulness, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.